Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be with you again from beautiful San Diego. Me and my partner in crime, Matt Walter, doing it again. How's it going, buddy? We are here. It is sunny, which is standard. <laughs> and standard. Funny and standard. No, it's awesome. Glad to be here. Another great topic. Another great day. Me and my partner, Devin Ebert. Here he is, the man, going to set it up for us, just like always. That's right. You know, we got a great story to talk about this week. Uh, something Matt sent to me and I'd actually seen it and I hadn't thought about using it as a topic but I'm glad he brought it to my attention. It's trending in the news lately because something that's going on obviously if you live in California is the drought. I mean this is, they said it's the worst we've had in like over a thousand years, four years in a row. We've recently had the governor calling for reductions in personalized water use at 25%. So uh, yeah, it's crazy with this drought Matt. What, like, did you see this just trending in the news? Your friend's been talking about this with you? Yeah, uh, definitely have been, uh, you know, 95% below average snowpack, uh, you know, in the, in the mountains of California this year. Uh, you know, Jerry Brown, where he gave that speech about, uh, you know, 25% reduction where he was standing should have been, you know, 50 inches of snow at that time when he actually gave it. So we're in a serious problem. We have a serious problem. I think it's been ignored. You know, by the rest of the country, they're just like, oh, yeah, California, those wacky people out there don't have water. Not yeah, that. you know, it's like classic uh, American approach to, to problems. We wait till the crisis reaches its fever point before we do anything about it. Like, look, we're not out of water yet, so let's just keep doing things as normal. Not and right yet. when it's like, hey, we're going to run out, then we do something. So, right. Yeah. It's like, oh, thing. But uh, it's actually not the environmental aspect we're going to go on this. It's interesting because I had sent Matt an article uh, to discuss a, a global warming topic, I think it was about uh, you know glacier reductions in Antarctica, and I was interested in talking about the environment, and then the drought was going on, and Matt sent me this story, which we're going to talk about this week, which is about Nestle, and so the story is that uh, Nestle, one of the you know largest food manufacturers in the world, they actually bottle water as well, and they've been pumping spring water from the San Bernardino National Forest under a permit that expired in 1988. <laughs> And this underground spring, it feeds into a place called Strawberry Creek, and they've been transferring it out by pipeline from this national forest. So this has been going on for a long time now, and it, it kind of highlights an ongoing issue because from looking into the story, one of the keynotes was that Nestle, even though they're one of the largest uh, bottling companies in the world, they're one of 108 water bottling companies in California. And the state has no grasp on how much water they pull. Yeah, nobody knows what they're doing. It's voluntary. I have no idea. So they're required to test the water so they know it's safe because they don't want to, you know, get sued for that. But they're not required to tell you how much water they're taking, which is interesting. So it brings into account a lot of, like, bureaucratic things going on. Like, how could you go 30 years unpermitted for something like this? That's what blew my mind the most, Matt. Blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, it just leads to me, me to believe that, you know, it, it, it's that collusion a little bit between government agencies and, and these large companies. How, like, how so? Where do you see this? Well, I just see where it's kind of like one of those things where these guys are, 
it's like I'll just turn my a blind eye to it. Like you guys can operate over here, you know. Uh, we we know you're doing it, but we're gonna let it slide, uh, you know, for the sake of capitalism. So why would they let it slide? Why would they not want them to be permitted? Well, then they have to, you know, obviously because of the the drought right now and the, and, and the crisis that's going on and, and the attention on water, you know, it would be reassessed and they would not be allowed to take the, the water out of the, out of the spring. Well, or they would be regulated with much more uh, scrutiny. You know, from what I've read, and it's just one theory, but uh, apparently it's quite a long process to get permitted. It's not something simple like, oh, you just fill out this paperwork and here you can take a billion well, gallons of water. Yeah, they do environmental the impact studies. That was the big do. thing right there was that an environmental impact study. Yeah. And a large corporation taking billion plus gallons of water a year out of the ground, they want as little oversight as possible into what this is doing to the environment because it could impact their business. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's doing nothing. We don't know. But they don't want to know if there is a problem because if there is a problem, it's better if don't nobody kick, knows about it. Don't kick the hornet's nest. Exactly. The crazy thing to me too was just the, the response of the bureaucracy and how they'd response, respond to it. Uh, there's a quote I have from uh, Jody Norin, who's the Na San Bernardino National Forest Supervisor. And the quote was, now that it has been brought to my attention that the Nestle permit has been expired for so long on top of the drought, it has gone to the top of the pile in terms of a program of work for our folks to work on. There's not even a conversation about, you know, they should be investigated for possible legal ramifications, yeah. sanctions or criminal. Like how, how can this not be something that is criminal or illegal in any sense is what I'm wondering. I mean, literally for 30 years, you've been doing something unpermitted. It's like if they found you were operating without a business license for 30 years, what would the IRS do? My, my question is, is where's the oversight? You have a permit that expires, and where is the diligence of the state to ensure that the environment and the people of that state are protected from these companies and their business actions, the things that they're doing, how they're operating, what they're doing to the environment. Those, those things that, that we just talked about taking time. So in truth, they are, the owners, who's the, what's, who's, who's responsible? Is it the state for keeping tabs on the corporation or is the corporation responsible to say, Hey, our permit expired. What do we need to do? We need to enter, get these forms in. Doesn't somebody have to penalize them? You know, it's a, it's a sticky situation because it's like, of course, everybody I think is a fan, whether you're conservative, Democrat, any political party. I think we all are a fan of limited government to a degree that we want as little government involvement as needed. It just, if they need more of it. It shouldn't be a bloated bureaucracy. It, it shouldn't it be, should be streamlined, being able to get permits, think, turn things around. You don't need a committee to watch a committee to watch another committee and pay this guy, pay that guy, pay this guy. But that's the, in the end, that's what everybody needs to get paid. Definitely. But it's like on the flip side, you can't leave regulation up to corporations because the inherent nature of corporatism is to not prioritize the things that regulators prioritize. Corporations are always going to prioritize profit. Regulations are always going to prioritize safety. So yep. there needs to be a balance between these two. It's very difficult to find that balance. And so this is a very, very interesting thing. I mean, 135,000 people, they've signed a petition to have Nestle stop bottling and selling water in California. Like I said, Nestle's one of 108 companies doing yeah. this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you mentioned before, this is big business, right? Like how much money is being brought in 
financially? They're a lot. Well, I mean, they're the largest food company in the world by revenue. So uh, I would cons- I, I would consider that there was uh, a large segment of their of their revenue came from water. It's easy. It's easy, man. You buy water and they 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 pump it out of the ground and they sell it for uh, a thousand times more expensive than tap water. <laughs> It does seem strange that like in a drought, in a crisis where there's like a lack of a natural resource like water, that you have private corporations taking a public resource and then reselling it back to the public at an exorbitant profit margin. Yeah. You know, something that costs a penny is and they found for that it's no, it's no safer than tap water either to the, for, for people. And it's less regulated than tap water. So you have all these things going on. So yes. The, all of that, what we just talked about, le- leads to a large, a large revenue stream. So, I mean, Nestle, it's a big business for them, and uh, it's funny. I, I read this quote because I was reading about Nestle and their involvement in this. And in 2013, uh, their chairman and former CEO Peter Brabeck, he suggested that declaring water a right is extreme, and asserts water is a foodstuff best valued and distributed. By the free market. Yeah, not a right. So you need it to live, but it's not a right. It's not a right for you to have it. He he tried to clarify this later and say, oh, he was talking about access to water, like as a means of survival, not about like access to bottled water. So he tried to play it off in that contextual game. But what's funny is the UN considers access to clean water a basic human right. Yeah. So how is it extreme to suggest that water is something we should all and for you know require? We we all need it. And listen to this, and one billion people lack access to safe water. It's scarce to them. One billion people on earth right now. And they said by twenty twenty, two thirds of the population will lack access to water. So who's gonna be able to control this water? See what I'm saying now? Now we're getting even further into it when we're talking about now private corporations are going to be in control of the distribution of this water worldwide to these people who already lack access to safe water. It's a scary thought because as private corporations get more control of natural resources like this, I personally feel the biggest threat to the survival of the human race is overpopulation and lack of natural resources. And now we're putting the world in a position where you don't even have governments in control of these resources anymore. You're basically giving away the rights, natural resources to companies to make a profit margin on. So when there's a crisis and there's a huge lack of water or oil or this or that, instead of the government stepping in and saying, okay, we're gonna control the market, we're gonna distribute this and regulate it, a corporation can say, hey, we can just jack up the price, make it $100 for a bottle of water if we want, because that's what the market demands, free market economy. Exactly. Supply and demand, just the way it is. So we have control of the supply. So that scares me a little. And you have to have it to live. You have to have it to live. It's not like we're talking about something like a widget that you just don't need, right? Like yeah. You don't need it. It makes but you, you think, need this. Do you think there's a trade-off now? As like we're kind of like hitting this golden age where we use more re- we're using more resources per day now than we ever have at any point in human history. Well, do you problem, think we need to reassess that? The problem is, is that economics looks at natural resources being infinite in its model, and it's not. Infinite, not. infinite growth paradigm? And, and it's finite. Mm-hmm. You can't, there's only so much of it, right? And so we're getting to that point with water and access to the water 
And this is what we're talking about now is access because these companies are, are pulling it out. And so it's, you know, the lake was originally designed to provide water to the people below it in the region, right? Mm-hmm. And so now it's piped out and, and now people don't have access to the water that they were supposed to have that was close. And so, yeah, you know, what happens is, is that it gets bottled up and it gets moved on and, and it goes and then the plastic ends up in the ocean. <laughs> That's another story. But wasn't the lake actually built to take advantage of this free market and sell the people water? It was built by businessmen. That's in true. Yes, right? it was true. Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of like its inception. They're like, hey, there's this dry, desert, arid area around. Let's build a lake nearby. And because there's not this huge distribution system like we have now in the 21st century, it's the 1800s, right. people are going to need to get their water somewhere and they're going to need a spring or a lake or something. So, this is perfect. So at the time, it was kind of ingenious. But you're providing a, a service at that point to the community. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, if the if the if the state can't get it there and you can't figure out a way to do it the way that we do it now with tap water, then that is a way for a company to find. I mean, they created this lake. They started to get the water, and then they distributed it out to the but people. Wasn't so it, they did. They wasn't it a different this, world? And it was a service. It was a different world. Yeah. For like sure. how many how many people? were alive in the United States in 1850. Well, I, I read a stat too. 30, well, 30 million people? I read a stat. What, 20 million people? <laughs> right. I mean, now we have 350 to 400 million, and right. in 10 years, that's going to double again. So you could argue that just by scale, that this would have to, to, to be the progression of this lake. We haven't really evolved our thinking. So on, that Nestle is just a progression of the the original guys that were there built, built this lake because of the scale of the economy has grown and the scale of the population. The scale of everything. So now that they're just doing it at the scale that is that is still providing a service. But see, the argument is is that they're not providing a service because we just said that tap water is safer or just as safe and it's more regulated. And it's a thousand times cheaper. But still, I just read a stat in the United States that one in five people only drink bottled water. That's <laughs> it. Because <laughs> it's healthier. Whatever. I don't know. Maybe they like those snowy looking bottles. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but I mean, Nestle, it's interesting because you don't really know how much water they're taking. And when it's put into terms of scale, it's really just a drop in the bucket. It's easy to point the finger at Nestle and say, okay, Nestle, you're the bad guys because you're taking advantage of this loophole you Well, they said out. that they're pumping 705 million gallons annually. But NASA said that California needs 11 trillion gallons to end the drought. So it's like less than a percent of a percent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's small. But they're saying they only take that. That's a voluntary number that they're giving. They can be as... It could be more, but let's say it was 10 times as much and it was 10 billion. 10 billion is a lot less than 13 trillion. It's less than 0.1% of that. So right now we're not talking about end of the drought, but we're talking about conserving the water that we do have is the problem. So any water that's coming out, in my opinion, is a problem. Of course, we're talking about the culture of behavior of corporations taking advantage of things like this. Yeah. Because, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You said infinite growth paradigm is the problem. Everyone's got this view of resources as they're going to grow infinite. Because in the 1840s, when there was only a few billion people, one or two billion people, I think, total in the entire world, 
there really was an abundance of resources. Right. Now we've scaled in such a way there's so many people, we have to rethink how our system takes into account how these resources right. are distributed. Because if we just let the private market, the free market, determine who gets what, we're going to cannibalize these resources for a few people to use far too much of them. We tipped it. The earth used to give it to us, you know, used to be able to provide with us in infinite, you know, ways and, and abundance. And now there's so many of us that we take more than what it's able to give. You know what I'm saying? We're starting and, we're, and that's what we're seeing now. I mean, just to touch on a couple of other points about, about water and bottled water is that uh, I read this study and uh, we'll link to it. It's a, it's a research article. And it said that 5.25 trillion particles of plastic are floating in the ocean right now. And that it equates to um, over 250,000 tons of plastic in the ocean. There's, there, there's continents of garbage. And here's the scary thing. You can't see it. It's just underneath the surface. Yeah. I remember the Pacific, uh, Pacific Garbage Island, they called it. They said it was the size of Texas, right? Mm -hmm. And it was just in between Japan and California, just floating in the middle of the Pacific. And then one day it was gone. And people were like, oh, you know, it's gone. No, it's, it's not gone. gone. It, it sunk. It just went down a little. It's, it's right, gone. It's right there getting bigger every day. It, it vanished. It just pushed down a little based on the tides and this and that. So, yeah, it didn't vanish, okay? It's not biodegradable. <laughs> the the Texas-sized island of plastic is not biodegradable. Hey, it floated to the bottom of the ocean. It's gone. It's not our problem anymore. The scale of things really is crazy, and I had another cool stat I wanted to throw out your way to get your thoughts on it because, like we were saying, we're talking about a culture of behavior, but it is a drop in the bucket. So, Nestle... But, and we're also touching on the damage that it actually does. Like, what is the end result of all this, you know, this business in general? So, you're pumping from the water, you're pumping out, um, you know, water from a, a, a state that's has a 25% reduction in urban use you know, mandate, you have been doing it for 30 years under the regulation because you haven't been, um, you know, permitted. And then the water shipped out of state, uh, causes some other problems that we, you know, talk about desertification and some other stuff like that. And then it, end, it ends up in the ocean with these other 5 trillion particles. I mean, that's a good point. Uh, you know, a desert ecosystem, like the area it's being taken from, San Bernardino Mountains, surface water, they say, is exceedingly rare, and it's got a much higher environmental value than the same water elsewhere. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, had a little technical difficulty, but we're going to launch right back into it. We were talking about the environmental impacts of what's going on right now, and something I was trying to point out, Matt, was that when you pull water from these dry, arid desert regions, that surface water is needed to support that environment. So we don't know what's being done right now, where the water's being pulled. A lot of theories, because it's not being regulated and permitted properly, they're pulling from springs and wells and aquifers that are critical to the environmental aspects of these dry, desert, arid regions. So that's really, really important. We understand what's going on. We get these regulatory practices in place just so there's transparency. So are you talking about that these water storages underground are connected through various channels and so when they're pulling from this lake that they're actually reaching further than what they believe they are and, and, and pulling water from aquifers that are that are that are deep down well there's all these different dams and springs and runoff <coughs> that combine to create this lake 
where they're pulling the water from now, it's supposed to be from a spring, a, a well, but we don't know that for a fact. There's many springs and wells in the area and you don't know which ones they're pulling from and how much they're pulling. Mm -hmm. So it's tough to know how much of an environmental impact it has. That's why the permit thing was such a big deal in the first place because it takes 18 to 24 months to get permitted because they do an environmental review. How much water are you taking? How much water does this area need? Historically, has it gone down? They're gonna be looking at a lot of data and like we talked about earlier, the company has all reason for not wanting anyone to know. Of course. It's just, it could be that they aren't doing anything wrong. I don't wanna speculate on that, but right. they'd rather you don't even look to see if something's going on wrong uh -huh. because just the attention to that is bad for them. So I, we really need to think about how we can kind of change the way corporations approach these type of things. If we're going to give corporations the power to control public resources like water, there needs to be transparency and oversight, and it needs to be something that they welcome, not fight. Yes, but at the same time with anything in business, you know, everybody's going to play the game the way that to, to its maximum, right? It, it, like sports, you know, you're going to push all the rules to the to the edge in order to get a little bit of advantage if you can within of, the boundaries. Of course, but we need to move. So in that what direction. you're saying is, is that like they should be more forthcoming. I mean, the, the, the permit expired. The permit, to me, the the they onus is they on the permit. state, but like the the state is the one who issues the permit. So isn't the issuing body responsible to come back at that corporation or whoever and say, your permit has expired and you have to enter into, these are the steps for re-permitting and we need to go down this road and they have to have somebody overseeing that to make sure that that happens. Well, now we get into that shady conspiracy theory. So you're telling it. me that the company is gonna be, is gonna, be forthcoming and say, hey, our permit's expired, wouldn't you be like, nobody's knocking on the door, so no, let's no. just keep operating as normal until they come knocking. You know, we're, we're obviously not doing anything wrong. Well, like we've kind of created that scenario. It's a trap fall, basically. You're like, okay, it's the company's job to always protect their profitability. So why should they be like, hey, we're not permitted? Because it's dangerous. It's dangerous. I'm not arguing that. You fact. know, that's what I'm saying. These co corporations, they've really got no. But danger has nothing to do with, with it. It does environmentally damaging. In, environmentally, it does. But what I'm saying, but it has nothing to do with business. In, in, in so you're saying that the business should be more ethical in its approach to what it's doing to the environment. So it should be more forthcoming to say, hey, our permit's expired and we wanna make sure that we're not damaging this irreparable damage. Well, that's the trap fall though, because like, think about it. If this wasn't privatized, it'd be shared natural resources, which is what it is. It should be all of our water, right? So if it was all of our water, we'd all be in agreement. We need to pay attention to what's going on all the time and make it as safe and regulated at what's happening all the time okay, and so everyone would be in agreement about this <clears throat> but because we go hey you know we should let private corporations run this free market economy well we do that now it's like hey it's, that's it's, what I'm it's, saying. it's not their job but wait when it was all of ours it was all our jobs now that we just say it's some people's jobs they're like well it's not our job we just made it your job we let you privatize it you're right. making the money on it but that's what I'm saying so it, it, it's if it's our water which means it's the state's water because the state exists because we vote for the, the people who are up there representing us. So it's the state's water. So it, it is our responsibility to regulate them and to, and to say your permit is up. 
Well, that is time. That's the to conspiracy go through theory this process. It's a conspiracy theory aspect because how can one of the largest how does it just slip under the radar? How can the what the biggest food corporations in the world go unpermitted for thirty years pulling water without somebody just turning a blind eye? So exactly, there, there's got to be like we said, where there's smoke, there's fire. So it's like we don't know anything bad's happening, but. The odds are something shady is. Happening. I mean, your pile. She talked about putting it on top of the pile. How big is that pile? You got room? Full? Hey, how many? Remember Casino? There's a great scene with Robert De Niro where he's talking about getting a gaming license to one of the the guy who's the head of the Tangiers. He's like, I can't get a gaming license. You know, I've been arrested for bookmaking 20, 30 times, and this perfectly sums up the bureaucracy aspect. He goes. It doesn't matter. We're making so much money here, they don't want to know. And what you do is you just change your job title. The process takes years. So, you know, you say you're a food and beverage manager, and then two years later you change your t- title. All of a sudden now you're, you know, you're, you're gaming advisor. You go to the bottom of the pile. And so it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's a shell game. Everybody's just so interested in making the money that the permitting process is just there as an illusion of regulation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, are we really going in depth as to what's happening here? We're saying, hey, just tell us that the water's safe. You tested it. We're okay with that. We don't know, need to know how much you're taking, even though it's a billion gallons of water a year, <laughs> you know, which is a drop in the bucket, right? Which is a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of things. But like I said, I think now we're in the stage of preservation, right? I mean, once you start to talk about regulating water consumption in urban communities in California, you start talking about uh, the preservation of existing resources wherever you can because the reservoirs and other things are so low, plus the snowpack. I mean, the good thing is, is that Colorado, I think they just got snow yep. <laughs> like last week. Um, and a lot we get a lot of water from, like, I think, the Colorado River and things like that. So, um, But, you know, here's the other kicker, though. They didn't do anything to regulate any of the water usage in agriculture in the state. That's where I wanted to shift to, too. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's funny because, like we said, it's a drop in the bucket. 13 trillion gallons of rain are needed. Trillion. They use, even 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 if we were estimating high, a few billion gallons, which is less than 1% of 1%. In factuality, farms in California use 80% of the state's developed water. 80%. Yeah. So it's kind of like we need to rethink the bigger picture. How are we using this 80% of the water for farming? What blew my mind was we're using 11 trillion gallons of water a year for almond farms. Did you know this? Yeah, I heard almonds use a lot of water. Almonds? For one almond, it takes one gallon of water to grow a single almond. Damn. So they said it's going to take 13 trillion gallons of rain to put us out of the drought. Well, if we stopped growing almonds, that would be 80 plus percent of it. I heard it takes three liters of water to make one liter bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> you mean an environmental impact cost and all this? Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that a real statistic? Yeah, I read it. I, I can't remember exactly. Did you know 90% per- like, you know like, of statistics are made up? Yeah. <laughs> it was on like waterproject.org or something. No, like I, believe I, I believe you. I believe you. That probably isn't. There was a lot of little. Little crazy little stats. You can Google, it, ladies and gentlemen, and call them out if you find out. But uh, no, that, that that is a statistical yeah, fact. A it's over a gallon of water for a single almond. I love almonds. They're delicious. Almond butter, fantastic. Six hundred gallons of water for a single hamburger. 
Yeah. Yeah. Read that. There's a that, uh, oh, the, the, that documentary. The, the, the cost of growing the feed to feed the cows. That 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 growth of water, right? Just the life. So yeah. Of a so cow. it's the whole thing to produce the hamburger. Yeah, because you got to grow that grain to feed that cow for five years for go. it to be a fully grown the cow. Grain, feed the and cow, the cow drinks water himself. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We got, so we got to rethink bigger picture things. I mean, it's so easy always. So people need to start thinking that about water and, and, and what it takes to sustain life, not in the context of just what we drink. Well, these, I mean, it's all important these, because this is, this is what we're talking about with the 600 gallons for the hamburger and the, um, and the three liters to make one liter and, 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 you know, the, the stats you were talking about. And, and so that's, that's what we're talking about. Well, we, we need to rethink the bigger picture because, you know, with this uh, drought going on, Brown ordered that executive order to cut water by 25%. And they said it's going to mainly hit places like college campuses, golf courses, and cemeteries. We have a lot of golf courses. Over a thousand golf courses. And like we talked about, if you multiplied 30 million gallons for a thousand courses, you'd have like, you know, 300 billion gallons of water on golf courses which is less than 1% of the water we need to get out of the drought in spite of a thousand golf courses. I mean, that's the crazy grand scheme of things we're looking about. For me, it really comes down to agriculture. We need to change agriculture because the country is very dependent on California for food. We grow 50% we the of it. basket. They say we're the nation's the salad bowl, right? The number one cash crop produces. The nation's right? salad bowl. We, we make 50% of the United States produce, nuts, fruits, vegetables. Man, I, mean, I never even knew that until you start driving north of LA, like when you go make that drive. Oh yeah. And you're like, man, Santa Barbara, just vast Barbara. lands of like just fertile soil and uh, tons of agriculture, fruits, vegetables. It's amazing. It's beautiful out there. So, I mean, if we have this drought, we have this problem. I'm telling all you guys about it so you don't come to California and drink up all our water. Yeah. Hey, it's like, it's like, it's like grapes are <laughs> wrath when you get out here, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. That's what it used to be. Now it's like one desolate wasteland with a peanut growing. Yeah. Sing, uh, <laughs> That's one, it. A gallon of water for one the single peanuts. Peanut. <laughs> so to, just to finish my thought though, I think that a big thing is going to have to be, you know, we have to make decisions where it's going to affect private individuals because these farms, they're all exempt from these water use regulations. For them, they can use as much water as they want at no cost for the benefit of the private corporation. So you've got almond farms where they've invested a lot of money and I, I can appreciate that and they're making a lot of money. They're mm -hmm. making millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, man, you ever bought a so, box of mixed nuts? So Jesus. if the cause of them making money could put the entire state, 30 million people's lives in danger, at what point do we say, hey, you know, the industry and the money these people are making they out, don't outweigh the, the risk they're presenting to everybody else. It's a very difficult situation. So you're going to limit the supply of almonds is what you're going to do. Definitely. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm just saying we need to think. And then mixed nuts are going to be freaking outrageous. They're already like trail mix. There. Trail mix at $50 a pound, ladies and gentlemen. Shit's right. going to get crazy. All you hippies out there <laughs> walking the Appalachian Trail. So, I mean, can, and can we move farming elsewhere? I don't know if you can really move farming to more other dry desert areas. Can Arizona and New Mexico grow as much avocados and Hell strawberries? No. no, it ain't gonna happen. So we really need to rethink, like you're talking we about cows, how we're growing our food. 
<laughs> no, we shouldn't take more Mexico joke. I mean, I, I think we've already taken half of it already, right? <laughs> Everything pretty much west of the Mississippi we would have taken. Yeah, exactly. But no, you, know, I, you never know. Maybe they'll give us down to Baja. We can, yeah. We can take just a, good, a couple more. We just a need a little bit more back. fertile soil. What do they got down there? No, I'm just kidding. But no, I don't know. I I think what we need to do is we need to think, rethink the way that we that we um, um, use the water, the way that we use, uh, you know, to irrigate in our irrigation plans and, and you know those systems in general. I know that they don't do those like flood irrigations, those open water trench irrigations anymore. Like they do more like individual plant watering to to maximize the the water. Um, that they that they do have access to because they pay for the water they pay a pretty penny the you know farmers uh they do pay to a degree how right. does it set up do you know i don't but uh you know I, I do know that there's a lot of uh incentives for farmers right you know? there's, a lot, there's a lot of vouchers there's a lot of ways where you're incentivized to grow certain crops so, not to discredit anything the farmers are doing. Oh, no. You know? I mean, we need water to live. We need food to live. You know, and that's why it's a shared issue. When we talked about earlier, you know, like who causes it, the corporations or the people. The corporations are made up of people. They're made up of us. So, you know, the more transparency we have, the better understanding of the situation we have, the better decisions we can make. That's going to affect the profitability of companies. That's why I feel like we just need to be a little more accepting of the fact that we don't need to be as profitable at all times as always. If everybody took that approach, then we could be profitable without having to do it at the cost of ignorance. You know, like we don't want to know what's going on with the environment, so don't don't regulate us because probably nothing's happening. Instead of being like, hey, let's see if anything's happening, and if it's bad, we can address it, and now we know everyone's going to be okay, which might put them in a position where somebody with more nefarious means can overtake them in the industry, right? That's the problem ultimately. By doing the right thing, your competitor can crush you. Well, when there's no regulation, there's no oversight, you have to maximize your advantage in every aspect so that you can box out your competition. So if it's not that if it's if it's not me, it's going to be them. So I have to make sure that I corner every segment what do you say to that counter argument though that like a free market will regulate itself you know so that yeah, if, right so if that that's the theory though that's proposed by a lot of people like hey if they're doing all the stuff that you disagree with and it's wrong vote with your dollars if enough people don't buy their stuff then they're gonna have to change their ways right mm -hmm. the problem is when there's so many monopolistic companies they're so giant they're so huge people don't have that many options and the companies that are forced to compete with the monopolies, they have to take the same steps to get there. So you've got very limited choice for most people for making ethical choices. Oh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna not eat at McDonald's or shop at Walmart because you know they do business practices I disagree with. Well that's great to say when you live in a major city. What if you live in the middle of nowhere where the only They've already put everybody else out of business. That's what I'm saying. You've got very limited options. You've got a Walmart, you've got a few stores. So what, you're not going to buy any products from any company that's done anything unethical? Well, unless you're living off the land, it's pretty much impossible to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you put people in a very difficult bind when you're like, look, vote with your dollars. So what would you say to that, though? Can the free market regulate itself? <clears throat> that's a good question. I, you One would hope, but 
it has to be played fairly in order for it to regulate itself in a perfect world and right it, it, that's that's like a that's like a dream scenario that that would happen because people are going to game the system and that's exactly what i just said they're going to maximize their sphere of influence in within whatever marketplace or landscape that they're playing in and that's just the way that it's going to be hmm because that's that's getting ahead. That's business. That's what you're. That's what you're doing. Like you said, what's your priority? Profit, right? In this world today, the priority is profit. Now, if the now if the priority was a better planet, it'd be a whole different game. Maybe they wouldn't play by such crazy rules. I wonder what it's going to take to get to that step where we realize that the profit. When there's a conscious effort to do things that are the minimal impact on the planet because that's the that's the issue here if they if they weren't regulated but we knew that they were you know saying hey you know we we did this environmental impact study we're spending money to make sure that we're doing this the the proper way with the least amount of impact and that we're we're regulating the how much water we're pulling out uh based on uh you know our data that we're gathering by our environmental impact studies and we're making sure that the fluctuations of our uh supply uh you know meets meet those standards that's not happening. They're pumping at a regular rate 24-7. That's just how it is. So that's right there for 30 years unregulated. You're telling me that the environment hasn't changed over those 30 years, fluctuated, ebbed and flowed with the water rising and falling like it does in nature? So shouldn't their business practices do or the pump, the way that they pump and the rate that they pump at fluctuate in the same manner if they were actually worried about how much damage they were doing to the environment. It's true. For me, the problem is we just live too much in the moment. You know, right now we live with the solution that's best for us and we've got enough resources. Things are okay. The companies make their profit. For me, I'm looking longer term. Like what does profit matter if in 50 years, you know, we've destroyed the environment, there's no water, there's a lack of natural resources and governments destabilized, there's anarchy, there's global war. What good is profit then? What what good does that money do anybody down the road? In the, pre the, in, in the, pre the, in the present, it does everybody good in the present. But I'm trying to think deeper down the road, larger picture, because you know this is an amazing experience. Life, like I truly, truly value every second of every moment, and that's something that I think is very innate with us. We can empathize that everybody has that in them, and whether or not you have kids. You want people to keep on living. You want life to keep on going for other people after you're gone. It's just this amazing experience that we hope can transcend and continue. And if we're not thinking longer term, we're only thinking in the present with profit and our own comfort, then I think we really risk that future. So for me, that, that's kind of where my grand scheme lies when I always look into issues like this, is down the road, where does it lead? Because in the present, like we said, this is American uh, American approach to problem solving. When it's a crisis, we deal with it. So there's even that big a crisis. There's you know 25% water reduction in certain areas, mm -hmm. residential golf courses, cemeteries. So this is like the first wave of the crisis. How we're dealing with it. And the majority of the water used in urban environments is in affluent communities watering their lawns. Is that so? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grass ain't gonna be green for forever. No, nope. hey, we live in the desert. Put it in a desert lawn. 
they look good too. Yeah, when you see those overhead uh, helicopter shots or uh, plane shots of like parts of like Southern California that are out near Indio and there's like just lush green grasses and everybody's lawn and swimming pools and then all surrounding the community there's nothing but desert. It's an oasis. It's an illusion. It's like Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. This town wasn't supposed to be here. People weren't supposed to live here. The technologies enabled us to do it, but we're siphoning off a huge percentage of our natural resources to support somebody's choice to live in an environment that's not conducive to normal human living. It's not normal to live in 100 degree temperatures. It isn't. No. You know? I think in Dubai, I remember reading, and uh, for you know the less astute people, Dubai, Middle Eastern country, they say it's you know fastest growing economy in the world. They're just dumping money into it. They use so much water there, it's insane. They literally spend, I think I read they spend a billion dollars a day on desalination because they need so much water for their golf courses. You've got a golf course in the middle of the Persian desert. It's 120 degrees and you're, and you're building golf courses there. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to just rethink our, our sustainability model because it just shows you how far people can push this to the limits. Exactly, for sure. Well, I wanted to touch base. I wanted to go back to uh, the farmers um, and how, what they do with water. So they don't get a subsidy. It says they pay full for their water and that they um, right now are actually paying 10 times more for their water uh, than they did before the, the record. Interesting. I did not know that. I, I yeah. thought that they were like, uh, you know, they, they had certain quotas they had to hit where like if you produce a certain amount, then they like credited you, but it's, I guess not. It says like cost of soared to 1100 per acre foot about 140 a year ago in the Fresno-based Westlands Water District, which represents 700 farms. Yeah, so, yeah, so they, they're paying a lot uh, for them right now. Um, but uh, agriculture consumes about 80% of all water delivered in the most populous U.S. state, California, is 80,000 farms. 80,000 farms. And that's, and that's also not take too much uh, away from them, though. I mean, they wouldn't be spending the money on the water if they weren't making the money on the food it was growing. Yeah, for sure. You know Without what I question. mean? Uh -huh. So they have no incentive to use it. Unless but it's here's profitable. the other, but now we're touching on other things. So now food cost goes up, right? Yep. I mean, listen, look at the rate that the 10 times more. So now food, food could cost 10 times more. So then we run into a food shortage, scarcity problem around the world, which we already have uh, because of delivery systems and things like that. But now we're going to have a price where, where we, we might not be able to afford it's scary because it's the right type of food, right? We, we want produce. We want vegetables and fruits and nuts. These are very healthy things. They're, they're critical. That's the type of stuff we need to be producing more of. So as we restrict that, what's going to replace it? Corn? Carbs? Oh, well, rice, I mean, everything, I mean, look, at, look at everything as corn, man. I mean, like it's corn, corn, corn-based. Yeah. It's all over, especially the United States. So, I mean, if that's going to have to be the reaction, though. It's like we're going to be replacing fruits, vegetables, and nuts, three of the healthiest things you can eat. Well, with processed with, food. With, with grains, processed Which food, we already eat too much of. And we, already, we already know that we eat too many grains in general. Yeah, grains are, are sugar. Yeah. Your body breaks it down to sugar. But so we're talking about food scarcity caused by water prices and water shortage. There's so many interrelated things going on here. It really... It really boggles the mind. You really can go down the rabbit hole on any of them. And so what I find fascinating about this story, though, and what we've done with it is, is that um, you know, it only takes one 
crack in the armor to start going down this whole route. Like we read an article about one company pumping, uh, you know, without a permit for 30 years out of uh, one lake. One out of 108 companies. One out of 108. But look at what we've been able to do. Like we took that and we were like, you know what? That's a really interesting thing. And then we started talking about, you know, uh, the the business and, and the state and the, the and bureaucracy, the legalities, the ethics, the farmers. So what I'm getting at, supplies. what I'm getting at is food supply and, you know, water shortage and, and plastic bottles and environmental impact studies. And so what I'm getting at is I'm talking about people is that it only takes one thing and just get interested in one thing and, and then just start to start to critically think about it a little bit and and you'll start to open up this wondrous like labyrinth behind each of these stories it's amazing there's something almost sick about it because it's like you're learning all this information that's like either like shocking repulsive or disturbing to you but there's something incredibly enjoyable about learning and discussing and just gaining new insights and perspectives on yourself this world, what can be done about it. So you're right, man. That's why I really appreciated you sharing the story was it already touched on something I was interested in talking about, which was, uh, you know, the bigger grand scheme of environmental impact. Yeah. And you're able to take a single story like this and eventually pull back and get to there anyways. Yeah, exactly. Everything's so interconnected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's you just know. a portal. It's just a portal. Once you go in, then you can just go anywhere with it because all of these stories have so many you know, roots that, that go out and in, into these, into these areas. And then they, they, they coalesce, so to speak, into this one, uh, this one story, this one instance, this one, uh, thing that's going on in the world. So anyway, we're going to wrap it up here. We have enjoyed our time with you and we're sorry for the technical difficulty, but we got it back on the rails and, uh, started spinning with you again. And my buddy Devin Ebert is going to shut us down. Take it. Thanks again, Matt Walter. You're the man. It's a pleasure as always. Uh, like you said, apologies for the technical difficulties. We'll work on that. Uh, we're looking forward to doing this again soon. It's a beautiful day. We hope you guys are out there enjoying yourselves. Peace and much love. Heck yeah. Enjoy the world. Later. Later.